Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Why do you feel like the sacredness of the journey is so important? Trying to understand how do these medicines work? They're focusing in on the mystical experience. And it's kind of unfortunate because that's only one piece of it. I'm Dr. Amy Robbins and welcome to Life, Death and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. When I got the outreach for this next guest, I was so excited because I interviewed Rachel Harris before, years ago, probably in my first season on her book, Listening to Ayahuasca. And at that point, I was in a very different place in my own journey in terms of understanding I had never done any psychedelics. I had very little reading and research on it, Uh, but I was starting to get very curious about the psychedelic space and trying to understand it in terms of another mode of healing for people. And so I'm really so excited to have this conversation today because I feel like where I am in trying to understand this is hopefully only going to help each of you deepen your understanding of the beautiful healing power of plant medicine. So today I have Rachel Harris back with me. She's the author of the new book, Swimming in the Sacred, Wisdom from the Psychedelic Underground, and also Listening to Ayahuasca, which was her previous book. Rachel is a psychologist who has been in private practice for 40 years and spent 10 years in in an academic research department where she published more than 40 scientific studies in peer-reviewed journals and received a National Institute of Health New Investigators Award. Rachel is here today to talk about her book, Swimming in the Sacred, which I'm so excited to dig into because, first of all, welcome back. Thank you so much. (laughs) I'm like Glad so excited I'm, I'm getting out of myself. Tell me a bit about the origins of this book in particular and why it's so important and timely 
as it seems we're moving into more of a medicalized treatment with psychedelics. Well, that that's exactly right. The so-called renaissance, psychedelic renaissance, is being led by the research teams because those are the legit FDA-approved studies. So that's where these entheogens are legal. <clears throat> everything, <clears throat> sorry, everything else is underground. Um, still, except for, you know, there's just the beginning, like Oregon has made plant medicines legal. I think Colorado, there are little places. But but just to put it in context, um, the people being trained to sit with people on a journey, to guide people. In Oregon, the uh, education requirement is the high school education. Mm. I mean, this is enough to, you know, when you've spent seven, 10 years getting all your degrees. Um, yes, a high school education. And and the training is online often and quite minimal. Mm -hmm. And legitimately, it's difficult to get much experience because everything is basically underground. So for a guide to be experienced with these medicines, they have to be willing to travel out of the country to Jamaica or the Netherlands or Mexico and or be illegal. And mm -hmm. so that's difficult. So one of the big differences is that the women I interviewed have been working with these medicines with people for at least 20 years, but many of them for 30 or 40 years. And before they even started working with clients, they worked on themselves for many years. They apprenticed, they learned the territory. I, I like to say they did all the medicines at all level of dosages. And so my listening to ayahuasca book, you know, introduced me to some people that led to these kinds of secret, really secret connections. I'm the first person these women have talked to about the work they've been doing for decades. So I describe these women as they've been silenced twice. As women, they've been silenced. And then because they're working underground illegally, they've been silenced. So I'm very grateful that they were willing to trust me and talk to me. Well, and it's so, I found it so interesting in the book because we know a lot, people who are paying attention to what's happening in the psychedelic space hear the same names over and over again. Ram Das, Tim Leary, Stan Lascraft, who you talk about in the book, but you really never hear the women that are doing this work. And the woman that I worked with that has guided me in a couple of my uh, my own uh, journeys is comes from a lineage as well and kind of put it to, to rest for a while, but brought it back in the past 10, 15 years. But there, this is my concern too is, and, and my journeys have been in ceremony, which I'm assuming feels quite different than going into a room, laying on a clinical couch, putting eye shades on with someone, you know, pushing a Spotify playlist and, and, you know, sitting there. And so I'm, I'm struggling internally because I really appreciate the need to bring these medicines into yes. the forefront right? because they are so incredibly powerful and healing. And also losing the sacredness of the medicine. So, how do you see this unfolding? Well, you know, the, uh, there's one one of the women I interview. I call her the eldest of the elders because she's now in her late 80s. So, you know, she's been working since the 60s, 
And she trained with a lot of the famous people who, who were some of the leaders in the late 50s, early 60s. And she says, you know, even if these medicines become legal, I would continue to work underground because that's the sacred container. And so this is really a challenge for our whole culture. We don't have a place for these ceremonies. You know, we have certainly we have a medical place for them. That's and as much as those the people on those research teams try to make it sacred, they are still just basically collecting data. Um, and they're looking for symptom reduction in a cost-effective approach. So three months, couple of journeys, couple of counseling sessions, and you're done. Mm -hmm. That's very different from the way the women have worked in the sacred process, where uh, the medicines are really part of a whole life lifetime. And people might come in once a year to do a journey with one of these underground practitioners. They might bring a partner in or gen multiple generations of a family will come in together. So they're used in a much more organic way and in, in a yes for healing, but in a bigger context of healing. So not just individual healing, but healing for the for what can I bring back to contribute to the community? Here's how one woman says it, because it's, you know, the part of the preparation is always about clarifying your intentions. Mm -hmm. She's talking about intentions. This is the eldest of the elders again. We are responsible for our intentions and our choices, responsible to ourselves and to humanity. Now, that's a bigger viewpoint than the medical approach. I have the goosebumps because that's the same quote I pulled out of the book. For those of you who have reached out on Patreon and donated, thank you so much for heeding that call. Thank you. If you have not yet supported the podcast, please go to Patreon, put in Dr. Amy Robbins, and there is an opportunity to support at whatever feels comfortable for you. It helps me with the production costs. My small, very small, but mighty team, it helps keep all of that running. So if you are a fan of the podcast, please consider donating whatever feels good to you. $5 a month, $20 a month, please take a minute and donate. Also, I am so excited that my course that I have been working on for years is getting ready, getting closer. It will be launched at some point this year. So if you're interested, please go ahead and put yourself on the wait list on my website at dramyrobbins.com. Also, if you happen to have any companies that you think are aligned with the vibe of this podcast, I'm looking for sponsorships as well. And the best thing you can do to help this podcast is to spread it via word of mouth. I know so many of you have already said, I've shared this with my friend or even therapists have shared it with their patients and patients have shared it with therapists. If you love the podcast, please, please share it. We have an online global reach here. So go ahead, tell your friends, tell your family, rate and review the podcast. Just spread the word so we can continue spreading messages of love and light and consciousness and awareness and science and spirituality and just how to live the most meaningful life that you possibly can. Please support Life, Death, and the Space. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bumble and Bumble Seaweed's invigorating shower ritual feels like an escape. Start with nutrient-infused shampoo and conditioner. The formula, infused with royal sugar kelp, green microalgae, and Pacific sea kelp, helps keep your scalp hydrated. Then, open your jar of seaweed-whipped scalp scrub to add two times more shine to your hair instantly. And before you head out, use seaweed air dry cream to give your hair that effortless beach look. Make your shower feel like an oasis with the Bumble and Bumble Seaweed Collection. Dive in now at bumbleandbumble.com. Yes. Sitting in front of me. I said in your interview with, how did you say her name? How, I kept wanting to say Meredith, but it's Medita. Medrith. Medrith. Uh, you asked her, by the way. Pardon me? These are, the names are all pseudonyms. Right, right. And you said, I said, you asked her, is the bottom line all about taking responsibility, responsibility for ourselves, our lives? Is that what it's all about? And she said, yes, we are responsible for our intentions and our choices, responsible to ourselves and humanity. So clearly we're on the same page here. What, <laughs> Literally. No, no pun intended. Right, exactly. What is... What does that mean to you as we're as we're expanding into this space in terms of what people might be looking for as they're exploring potentially a psychedelic journey? Well, I think this is part of what what the definition of being of sacred is. Um, I can quote you from Gary Snyder, you know, the poet uh, and naturalist. Ultimately, all such, and he's not writing about drugs. He's not writing about entheogens. He's writing about vision quests. Ultimately, all such journeys are done for the sake of the whole, not as some private quest. Mm -hmm. So he also has this bigger vision of, yes, you do the individual healing, and you do it in order to respond to what you can contribute to the greater good. So there's a higher level of responsibility here. How do you feel like, or why do you feel like the sacredness of the journey is so important? And having having practitioners who have served medicines and apprenticed, can you talk a little about that too? The apprenticeship usually of these 
particularly these underground healers, right? Um, what they've done to prepare to know and understand what can happen in in a journey because it's not want to stress this it is not always the mystical magical experiences that I feel like get described that people kind of grasp onto and think that's that's what I want to order for this exactly you know the, the women began to complain that people you know through contacts and through who you know they they reach some of these women and the women have been saying people call us and they say, you know, I'd like a mystical experience. Can you guarantee? And it's like, no, they don't even want to work with people who ask that. Right. But that's what's gotten a lot of the big buzz. And that's what the clinicians in trying to understand how do these medicines work? They're focusing in on the mystical experience. And it, it's kind of unfortunate because that's only one piece of it. You know, one another woman says, here's her quote. You got a mystical experience, but so what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you have to learn how to work with energy. If you don't shift your awareness, you'll never know how energy works. And so that's that's not just what do you do the next day, the next week. It's not just what we as psychologists would think of as integration. You know, how how is your life better? Um, <clears throat> you know, are your relationships better? You know, those kinds of, do you feel better about yourself? It's more, how do you contribute to a bigger world? How, mm -hmm. how do you understand how energy works? This is a very big um, cosmological framework. So it's a real, it's a, it's a total shift. It's, this is quite a ways from symptom reduction. And, you know, I've been talking about how much um, that the women work on themselves for years before they start working with other people. And one woman who was trained indigenously, she was, I think really only one or two have been trained by indigenous shaman. The other have been trained by Westerners and other ways. Um, but she was six years with this Peruvian shaman, Shabipo tribe. <clears throat> and he said to her, you're ready to sing. And the Icaros are the 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 way the, the healing is delivered in, in ceremonies in the Shipipo tribe. And she said, no, I'm not ready yet. After six years of schlepping down to Peru, sleeping on the jungle floor. I mean, she did things I wouldn't think I would ever want to do. Mm -hmm. I was the first to ask about what are the bathroom facilities? Right, right. On the jungle floor. And um, she said, so she waited a whole year. And during that extra year, now we're talking about year number seven, she sat at the shaman's elbow, you know, which is the definition of an apprenticeship. You're right there, right next to them. And he would sing and she would sing a nanosecond after him. She knew the songs, mm -hmm. but to carry the energy and to work with the energy into the other person's energy body, she was singing just right next to him, just right along. And she did that for a whole year. And then she began to sing. And that's now 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. So you get a sense of this long range, but I've been thinking, you know, in my, in my doing the podcast, it's really important that I connect the, um, the work that these women have done on themselves, their own healing with their, <clears throat> excuse me, with their capacity to travel with the client, to sort of energetically have a, to know the territory, to be able to track 
the client where they're traveling in their journey and to be present. Mm. And so it's that clearing of their own work that allows them to be more present for the client. And it's Aldous Huxley's wife who talks about this, Laura Huxley. And her quote Can is- Can you just tell my audience if they're unfamiliar who they are? Aldous Huxley? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know how to describe him. <laughs> He's the author of Brave New World. So at least the English majors know who he is. <laughs> but he wrote a lot about psychedelics and he has the book, the title, which I can't retrieve immediately. Do you know it? The psychedelic book? Mm -mm, mm -mm. It was one of the first ones that came out in the 50s. Well, I'll, I can email it to you. You can put okay. it on. I'll yeah. put it in the show notes. Yeah. So, But he, in the psychedelic world, the way he died was his wife gave him, as he was dying, his wife gave him an intramuscular injection of LSD. So he was he was very experienced working with the medicines. He worked with mescaline and acid. And, and so she was experienced as a guide. But that's the dramatic story of he died under the influence, basically. The most challenging aspect of guiding is to keep themselves out of their client's journey. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we would call this um, transference, counter-transference. Mm -hmm. um, how do we how do we know our own psyche so well that we can keep it separate? And so that's the essence of the the early work that the women did on themselves. And in conversation with one of the women elders, I said something like, well, you know, not all therapists have had their own therapy. It's not required in graduate school. And she could not believe it. She didn't know. These are not therapists. These are not academically trained therapists. She had no idea. And she just could not get over it. And I, I didn't know what to say to defend the profession. <laughs> There was not much I could say. Yeah, that's always been interesting to me to never have sat on the other side of the couch. One, to to know yourself in that deep, um, intense way, but also to know what it feels like to allow yourself to be vulnerable in that way to someone else, to show them all of who you are completely and feel what that feels like. To me, I I, I never understood that that either right but but right. in terms of of the work and the medicine how do you see someone and and I'm curious about this too as as a lot of the because I've looked into many of these courses to take and struggled with should I you know register and take a very expensive course on integration or administration of the medicines I've not taken one yet course yet um, and, and now we're talking business. These are the, these are the attempts to make some of the attempts to make money. Right. Right. And so, and, and I think too, people who want to really trust, right. There was so much fear around these medicines and we're trying to shift that. And I think kind of legalizing it and medicalizing it for a lot of people will help them. Yes. But but then there is that missing component of these these women who are any elder, any any person who's served the medicine for a long time. And how you lose the sacredness of how many journeys they've been on with people, how many dosages and, and the administration that they've seen over time. 
and how important it is for them to understand the power of these medicines and the different ways a trip can take you. Yes. Yes. And there are, when I speak to other elders and who have been in the psychedelic world, world for decades, not just the women I interviewed, but other people I know, everybody has a, a story of someone who's been harmed. So it's still a very small percentage. I mean, people have been harmed by Tylenol. It's still a very small percentage. These medicines are very safe. Nobody's going to get addicted to them. Ketamine's a different story, by the way. You can get addicted to ketamine. But the other entheogens are quite safe. Um, Can you differentiate ketamine from the other entheogens? Ketamine is a it's a it's a, a children's anesthetic, so it's mm-hmm. it's a pure chemical. So it's quite different, and it's a much trickier kind of medicine. There isn't there isn't no you know I've heard people talk about having a relationship with ketamine as a medicine, but I don't really understand it. Um, with the plant medicines, there's a whole indigenous cosmology of there's a plant teacher behind the medicine and there's, there are intelligent. What do you mean by plant teacher? Yes, I know. This is uh, from, from um, a, a different cultural worldview. So these, the closest I can say is these are unseen entities. Mm-hmm. So they're plant teachers. They're the spirit of the plant and people feel they can communicate with that spirit. I mean, that's what the book listening to ayahuasca is about is I, I literally heard messages and you know, what's interesting. I didn't, I I heard messages that were very helpful for that book and the writing of that listening to ayahuasca. I didn't receive any help on this book from unseen sources, Mm -hmm. people who helped me, a lot Mm -hmm. of people helped me, but I, it's not like uh, ayahuasca as a plant spirit did not did was no help. This was not her territory. Mm-hmm. And she kept out of it. So you can hear me. I'm talking about a plant spirit as if it's a, you know, a, a real grandmother or, you know, a wise woman in my life. And 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 she is. So uh ketamine is a whole different category. And it's a dissociative, not a psychedelic. Mm-hmm. People uh, d- don't become more embodied. They they actually get better at leaving their body. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very, and and I think if anyone's tempted to overuse it, it can be a dangerous drug and people can get addicted to it. And that's not a pretty picture. I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I know there's a lot of excitement about it in being able to get such an immediate response um, to treatment resistant depression. And that's a lifesaver for people. And I think we have to learn to be careful with this drug. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope culturally we can be more mature than we were in the 60s and 70s and understand that there's a higher level of responsibility working with these medicines. Can you describe for me, how you see psychedelics as a practice for death and dying? Because I I know that there's a lot of research around as people are nearing death, the use of psychedelics, but also I think it can be really powerful just in everyday life to confront your own death in that way. Yes, yes. Uh, You know, this is the uh, part of the practice of, of, entheogens that goes back thousands of years has to do with uh, death and dying. 
So the New York Times had an article just a few weeks ago where they found remnants of bodies in a what they called a burial cave on an island off the coast of Spain. And they were able to analyze psychotropic plant material drugs in the hair of these remnants that they found. So this was a burial cave. You get the picture, it's already underground. And they knew from where the psychotropic chemicals were in the hair that people had been ingesting these medicines for a, a, almost a whole year. So it was their process of preparing to die and then being buried in this underground cave. So that culture, whatever it was, had a sacred way of holding these medicines that we are just hopefully beginning to think about. Mm -hmm. So the most of the research on um, terminal cancer patients has been at NYU. And there are, you can even get, um, they did some video documentaries of some of the people talking about their psilocybin journeys and their preparation for death. And, I, you know, they, they are quite amazing. And what, they they the symptom reduction has to do with what they call demoralization which is you know which involves more pain more anxiety death anxiety withdrawal from love relationships just at the time where you have very limited time left you withdraw from the people you love the most and you're racked with pain and the psychedelic the psilocybin journey opened people up so they were able to talk to their loved ones. They were in less pain. They were less afraid of dying. Mm -hmm. They were less afraid of death. They had such a strong spiritual experience that they felt even optimistic about what came in the afterlife. So, I mean, their whole reality shifted and it enabled them to use the, the time they had left in the best way possible. And have researchers figured out yet what it is about these mystical spiritual experiences. I know you talk about this in the book. This has been a question I've had for a long time is how much a psychedelic mystical experience mirrors uh, NDE because the way that they're often described can be quite similar. Uh, and, and is it just the chemical, is it just a chemical release in your brain or is there more happening in terms of once you can expand your consciousness in that way? What is your understanding I'm, of it I'm all? I'm so sorry you asked this question. We oh, have no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> question, that's all I can say. But you know what's really interesting about that is there are a couple approaches that result in the same um, in the same results. It's not different avenues that lead to the same result. So a near-death experience does, a psychedelic journey does, and, and many people have spontaneous mystical experiences. I mean, it, you know, Barbara Ehrenwald, I think that's how you pronounce her name. She wrote, she wrote 20 different nonfiction books, but one of the famous ones was Nickel and Dimed. She wrote about society, as a sociologist, she wrote many books. Is nickel and dimed new? I feel like I know oh, it's a couple okay. years old. It's about okay. people working and not being able to ever make enough money and mm. that they're nickel and dime. She had an experience when she was a teenager that she never told anyone, never wrote about, never. So now she's like pushing 70 or so. She finally writes the book and she says it was an, she was just walking down the street and everything burst into flames. Now, this is a classic 
um, that burst, it's like the burning bush. Mm-hmm. Everything bursts into flames. It's a transcendent experience. And she said it changed her whole life. So she finally wrote about it. It'd be nice if I could remember the title of the book, but it's a recent one and you can get it just by finding her name. So many people have these spontaneous experiences and they don't talk about them. Mm-hmm. But one, so so there's a paperback called Quantum Quantum Change, I think it is. And, and uh, two psychologists put an ad in the paper looking to interview people who had a spontaneous spiritual experience. So they interviewed like 50 people or so. And they asked them, you know, how are you changed? And they talked about, they changed their values, their values changed, they changed their priorities in life. They went from being money oriented or, you know, reputation oriented to contributing to society. The everything, they were more interested in, in relationships and being authentic, major shifts that are very similar to what often happens after psychedelic, but not always and often happens after a near-death experience. What was interesting is these psychologists followed these people up 10 years later. So you know how hard that is to find people to do Mm -hmm. data collection. It's like a miracle. (laughs) And they found most of them and their values and priorities in life remain changed. They did not revert back. And this is part of what the hope was in the 60s, which was my generation. We hoped, oh, people will do we'll do a psychedelic trip and then they'll be different in the world. That's not what happened, needless to say. And so the question for us as a culture is how do we work with these medicines so that we are personally transformed and, and learn how to transform the culture because we're not doing all that well. I think many people would agree for one reason or another. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably and, not super debatable. And as, as one of the, you know, with the help of a translator, uh, a Shipipo, a Peruvian Shipipo shaman said to me, the medicines have come to help you. And I'm like, well, thank you. We need help. That's my position. We need all the help we can get. But some of it is our responsibility. How do we hold these medicines in our culture in a way that leads to bigger cultural transformation. Mm -hmm. Well, and I love that thought, which leads to my question about the financial cost of these journeys. And you're asking a good, tough question. (laughs) I told you I'm in a very different space than I was, Um, because these are all the things that I'm struggling with as I'm as I have patients asking me about the medicines and obviously they're not legal yet. So there's that. And then there's also, you know, lots of places I know who are offering, you know, come for $10,000 for the weekend and you can do a trip. And, and it's like, well, if we're, if we're in the business of healing, where is that tipping point? Right. I understand people need to make money. They need to support themselves. They need to survive. I'm, I'm there too, right? I'm a therapist. I charge people for my time. On the flip side, these medicines are grown in nature. They're found in nature, if you know what you're looking for. And yet we're charging people these like crazy amounts of money. And so only a certain amount of people can afford to pay that. Like, 
what are we doing? Basically is my question. Yeah, I think at one point I say, yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah, ego inflation is alive and well in the psychedelic renaissance and people are going for big bucks. Yeah, we have, not everybody who's done these medicines has transformed their values and their priorities. And this is what you're describing is the symptom of this. I I would caution people against this kind of, I wouldn't go to something like this. I would find something more authentic. And and one of the one of the criteria I encourage people to look for is is there a, a an in depth uh, medical interview with before you're allowed into a ceremony? Because mm-hmm. there needs to be there are real serious contraindications, and if somebody is not doing that, don't go near them. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't. I, I just wouldn't sign up for an exorbitant price. And I, mm-hmm. I would want someone who's doing a real responsible, detailed medical intake. And also who I could ask, you know, how long have you been leading ceremonies? Who authorized you is the way the elders, mm. told, you know, suggested I tell people. But, you know, who gave you, who trained you? Who gave you, where did you study? How long did you study? If the, if they don't want to answer those questions, I I wouldn't go. Mm-hmm. And um, and then if it's a group, how many people are in the group? How many helpers? How many helpers, meaning sitters or people who are there to helping the ceremonial leader? How many mm-hmm. people are there to help? What's a reasonable amount for that? Or, or what shouldn't it be? I know it shouldn't be one. I know that. Well, not for a group. Absolutely not. Um, you know, it really depends on the skill of the, of the leader. But if it's like 30, 40, 50, I just would not go to something. I personally wouldn't do that. I wouldn't care how many helpers there are if it's a big group like that. Um there, I know there are some people who are just very highly skilled and with a couple of helpers, they can handle 20, 25 people, but that's someone who's practiced for decades and is so thoroughly trained. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are very few people like that in our world, in, in the Western world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it's, you know, it's worth shopping around. I'd be very careful. And I've had trouble accepting that there's um such a wide range of expertise and and ethical responsibility uh it's it's i'm very sad to see such a wide range of this and and you know the the professional associations have some ethical uh oversight on those of us who who are licensed but in the psychedelic world, there's that's not present. So mm-hmm. um, there's there's little oversight. And and for you as a therapist, you know what, what part of what's interesting is when I started interviewing these women, I thought they were therapists. I thought, all right, well maybe they have licenses, maybe they don't, maybe they're trained as it, but they are not therapists. They are priestesses. It's a very different function. And so if someone after ceremony has psychological questions coming up, um, I never I never realized what happened in my family, you know, a memory of a trauma or something like that. 
these women will refer out to psychotherapists. They don't, they do not want to keep seeing that person. They're not trained for that. They don't want to do that level work. They're doing the sacred ceremonial work. If it's something of, well, I, I want to ask another question in a journey, then they might say, well, do another journey in a few weeks or a month. They might offer another journey. But if someone wants ongoing exploration, they refer them out to a therapist. But now in these training, now we're combining these two roles, which are very different. Mm -hmm. So, Who leads the ceremony and who does the integration is now in one person who may or may not be well-trained in either. So That's talk it. to me. This is exactly, you're, you're <laughs> speaking like directly to my heart because this is exactly part of what, as I've been exploring um, moving into the psychedelic space in a way that could potentially help support people's growth, it's very clear to me I have zero desire to sit in ceremony. First of all, I'd be like, by the time... I would feel comfortable doing what you've described. I'm hoping to be closer to retirement than that. <laughs> so there's that piece. But but also I like being in the work with people and really doing kind of that deeper right. inner work. Yes, right. So what is what does integration actually mean after a psychedelic ceremony? Oh, you you haven't gotten to that chapter yet. My 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 favorite chapter. No, title. I have. I want for my for my for my listeners to understand, because I think this word you, I think you call it like, what the hell is integration, right? Anyway, yes, right. we don't have a good answer. So my honest, my honest answer is I really do see these entheogens as being something that people do throughout a lifespan. So then integration is the continuing work that we do on ourselves. It's not something that's done like a debriefing in three sessions. It's, you know, and now, and now you've integrated that journey. You might have a journey two years from now that picks up where that journey left off. These, these inner movements continue to unfold throughout our lives. I like to remind people, Abraham um, Hoffman, Hoffman, this, the, the chemist who synthesized LSD, he lived to be 102. When he was 97, he did an LSD trip. <laughs> it, these medicines are used over a whole lifetime. And, and there's this unfolding of layers and psychological work and spiritual guidance and, and refinement of working with our own egos. So it's not just a, one event. And so then how do I answer, well, what does integration look like? Integration looks like a lifetime of work. But for you and for other therapists um, listening, I, I would say it. none of the so-called training programs are very good. So it doesn't even matter which one you go to. So don't pay a lot of money. <laughs> and you might figure out one is more prestigious than the other. And so you might want it to look good on your resume or something, but don't pay a lot of money. What's the best, how do you become a good therapist? You go to therapy. How do you become good at integrating? Yeah, I'm sorry, I can, I, I'm stumbling saying this, but my recommendation is you do a lot of illegal drugs. In <laughs> you're going to love me. You're going to cut this. In the nope, I'm keeping it in. I'm keeping it in. The part of me that has been quieted throughout my life for way too long 
is Wait. keeping this in the podcast. Okay, well, this is one of the one of the after effects of psychedelics. <laughs> um, yeah, but do them in a sacred way with a really well experienced guide or shaman, well trained shaman, someone who really knows the territory can work with it, and then work with a therapist yourself who knows this territory and how to integrate and and work with these things that are unfolding. So I, I'm no longer, I'm retired. I have a therapist. She's a Jungian analyst mm -hmm. and she was trained by a Hawaiian shaman. Wow. Is, she's a PhD, she's a psychologist, a licensed psychologist. So that's, you know, that's good for me. <laughs> now she doesn't, you know, the Hawaiian shaman don't work with, with or she at least doesn't work with drugs. I don't know if that's true of all the Hawaiian shaman, but the one she worked with doesn't work with ceremony and prayers and energy. So she doesn't have the drug experience, but she certainly as a Jungian analyst, she can work with, you know, the journeys I experience and my dreams and what's unfolding. And so um, it's, it's a wonderful blend for me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, do drugs and get really good therapy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I think <laughs> when you hit a certain age, you'll say anything. <laughs> right. Right. But, but I think that's, I mean, I think that that actually is probably the best prescription for life is these plant medicine drugs, plant medicines. I don't yeah. like even saying drugs because I feel like they're, they, they really feel more medicinal. And I feel like drugs seem to have like a negative connotation but the, and, and that was in my journey. Uh, I've done two journeys, two separate different journeys, two different medicines. Um, I was so, I, I came out of the journey feeling like no amount of therapy in my life would ever get me to the places this medicine got me to. And now what do I do with that? Right. Like now it's like, once you've seen that, you can't unsee it. How do you continue to work with it, to know it, to understand it, to understand yourself? Right. And, and, and I think that there, I mean, I do meditation. I do transformational breath work. I do sound. I mean, I've tried everything. I experiment. The depth of your soul is seen in a way I, I, you can't even put words to it. It's ineffable in that way because you see, you can step back and watch your, your soul, your experiences, your life in front of you. And there's no way you, however many years you spend on a couch, it, I just don't think you could get there on your own. They really do open things up. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it's a, and it continues to unfold. And so you can understand here you've had these dramatic experiences, but you, if someone's doing this once a year or throughout a life, every couple of years, you know, just throughout a life as, as their lives unfold, you get a sense of how life, life becomes a, a much larger journey mm -hmm. with levels of healing and that are really, that, I think really prepare you to do whatever your your spiritual job is in the world. And so you you're able to contribute more and more. Mhm. Mm yeah, and and just 
the expansive opening of it all is just, I mean, th these medicines are really a gift. And I think when used in the right way with the right guides and the right people holding the space, which I think is so crucial, uh, is it's powerful beyond measure. And see, and see, so you, you hold the space with who you are. That's why all the work, all the experience with the medicines, that's why the internet training programs are not that important because they don't work at that level. Yes, you'll learn more about the history of psychedelics and and you'll get some information, but they don't they don't transform you in the way that these women have been transformed by their own work on themselves and their work with the medicines. And that's what we're really talking about here. And I know a lot of people, I interview a lot of people, I can probably count on one hand the number of licensed therapists I know who are doing this level work on themselves. Mm. And boy, do I support them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because I know it's, and they know it's a long haul, it's going to take years. And so they are really preparing themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, well, the work I say this all the time. I'm going to say it again. I believe the most spiritual thing you can do in your life is to know yourself. And I think that there are many ways to get there. Um, but therapy is a really good one. Yes. <laughs> if not one of the best. And I think that, that plant medicines just help. They do help move that journey. Yeah. As well. Rachel, is there anything else you want to share with us today about swimming in the sacred and really the 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 sacredness of this medicine and the and the people who are doing the work and have been doing the work underground for many years? Yeah, yeah. Well, let me say something about the phrase swimming in the sacred and that, and that's the website. Um it was swimminginthesacred.com. But the phrase is from a song that Maria Sabina she was a Mexican curandera who worked with the little saints, magic mushrooms. And uh, she sang a song, I am a woman who swims in the sacred. And that's where the title comes from, is from one of her inspired songs. Okay. Wow. Well, thank you so much. If people are interested, and I would really encourage anybody who, I know everybody reads How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan as their kind of Gateway, gateway into the drugs, the medicines. But this book, I think, is better than that book in terms of how it speaks about what it means to be in ceremony, what it means to be with the medicines, how to understand these women in particular who have been doing this work for so long. Please read it if you are thinking about a journey just to understand what you are stepping into. Because I think there's, I hear it all the time. This person's microdosing mushrooms and that person took four chocolates today. And, and the medicine, the medicine is about transforming yourself. That is what I think. And I'm, I feel very strongly about this. I'm sure people can hear it in my voice. This is a tool for healing, another tool for healing. I don't, I, and I'm sure recreationally, it's great. Although if recreationally, I took the amount that I took in a ceremony, I would probably not be here right now. But 
and and not because it was done irresponsibly it was done responsibly in the right place but i worry about people thinking i'm just going to take a little bit of this and a little bit of that here and there and not recognizing which is a different reason for taking the medic medicine than the the real healing power of the medicine so thank you <laughs> so people want to find your work swimming in the sacred is where they that website where they can find the book or yeah okay well thank, thank you, you rachel thank you so much for your time today this was fantastic i was like counting the minutes for this interview today because i was really excited like what you heard today and want to hear more wondering what comes next and what it all means Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.